Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome to Night Call a production of iHeartRadio. It's 9.59 p.m. in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and you're listening to Night Call. Hello and welcome back to Night Call, a call-in show about our dystopian reality. I'm Emily Yoshida. I'm here, as always, in Los Angeles, and with me are... Tess Lynch and... Molly Lambert. We are now deep into spring break March. This is our theme of the month, and today we are going to be talking about the definitive slash originating spring break film, 1960s Where the Boys Are, and we're also going to be taking all your spring break calls and emails that you've given us over the past couple weeks. And we are still taking those, so if you have a spring break story to share, give us a call at one 469 or if you're phone shy, you can give us an email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to start off with an email from a listener. This email comes from listener Bowie and says, Hey, Night Call, long time, first time, and it's for the spring break theme. I never did a traditional spring break in college, but I did do an alternative spring break hosted by my university senior year. We went as a group to San Francisco from Texas to visit and volunteer with several activist organizations. I found it to be very educational for me, but ultimately I didn't feel like we helped anybody, and it was just an expensive and strange venture for us and the organizations. I know some others of these are based around Habitat for Humanity, so maybe those are more materially useful. I can't help but feel it might have been better to stay in our town and volunteer there. Did any of y'all do these in college? What do you think about voluntourism? 
Thanks for the podcast, Bowie. That's a good question. Volunteerism. Uh, Volunteerism. I don't know. I mean, I did I did AmeriCorps, which is the closest thing to that that I've done, but that's a whole year. And did you feel like you were helping people? Yes, for that. But because it's a long term thing and you basically have a job for a year as opposed to like dropping in, air dropping in for a week to some place you have no connection to or you don't know the people there. Um, I can see how that would be that would maybe have a high possibility of uh, bungling, I guess. But it's a nice it's a nice in, uh, intention, at least to use your spring break for something like that. Yeah. Did yeah. You? Positive spring break. Is a yeah. good idea. Yeah. No, but it's making me think about like uh, missionary trips kind of and whether there could be like a good version of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think one thing and we can talk about this more when we get into where the boys are, because it was such a like, I guess there's some of this and you see a little of this in the margins of spring breakers, too. But like the idea that like you're going as a representative from your college. Right. <laughs> and like if you're going as a representative from your college and you are like a privileged enough person to be at college, like wouldn't you want to use that to do something non-destructive? <laughs> <laughs> um, that feels like a more reasonable uh, impulse to have, but uh, I don't know. Reason rarely rules. So. Hedonism, baby. Yeah. I took a trip when I was a kid, and it was over winter break to El Salvador with UNICEF. Um, and that was, I, I think, you know, I didn't do that much that was constructive because I was like 12. But yeah. I, you know, we handed out school supplies and stuff. But it was obviously I took away more from it than I gave to it. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. it is interesting. I worked with RIPERG, which is a public interest research campaign, kind of like Sierra Club, um, in college over the summer. And that was, I mean, it was good to get a sense of policies that I didn't know about and do outreach. But it's like, it's such a hard age to represent a cause well. Oh, yeah. Especially back then, I think it was. Um, but it's it's interesting to think about the ways that you could spend spring break doing good volunteerism. Yeah. What about you, Molly? Well, I like this how this person also was like, maybe we just should have stayed home and like gotten more involved in local politics. Yeah. Totally. Because um, yeah. I think that's also a good impulse is like the impulse to go help somewhere else mm -hmm. can often be sublimated into like, well, what's even going ar right around me? Right. Yeah. Um, I worked at a food bank in high school. We had to do some volunteering, um, and I like, you could choose where you did it. So I went to like a food bank in Van Nuys that was run by nuns, um, and I loved it because <laughs> I loved the nuns. They were like chill nuns, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get more into later. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was also just like it felt sort of like. I wasn't thinking about it on like a policy point at that p time in my life. I wasn't like, we shouldn't need this because like people should be able to afford to eat food because everything is bad and like the government should take care of this. But I was like, people who need food should get food. And it, you know, makes you feel like you're doing something to like hand it out to them. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of alternatives to spring break, we are not in college, but I took a break from social media for two days. Yeah. I'm about to take another long. one. Well, no, it wasn't intended to be a long spring break because we all have to, I mean, there's a certain element of like needing to stay engaged with social media for work. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that I would have to check in at some point, but I set limits on my phone and like deleted some apps and stuff. 
Um, but how'd it go? Well, it was amazing, and I mean, it's it's going to be something where I know that I can't just disconnect entirely from it. I mean, I wish I could, but I feel like doing so. I mean, especially with coronavirus and everything, which we'll also talk more about in a minute. But there, you know, it's when you're watching the news, as I was, um, or just refreshing a website, you're not getting things as immediately, which which is good. But it also kind of places you apart from how everyone else is receiving news, which feels kind of isolating and probably something Mm -hmm. you have to kind of find a balance and moderate it. It was so hard, you guys, to stay completely off social media for two days. (laughs) Two days. It was hard because I wasn't like on a trip, you know, or anything where I could be like, I'm making this decision and putting myself in a different place. It was I was doing the same things that I do at night, which is like scrolling, just trying to scroll. But then you reach the bottom and there's nowhere else to They should scroll. make an app that's just a dumb social media feed that will just give you the satisfaction of scrolling and looking at things, but it's not like hooked okay. up to anybody's account. Yes. What about when you reach like the end point of that and you're like, what did I used to do? Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's what's amazing. And I was like, could I find the same feeling anywhere else, the same feeling? But the feeling is a bad feeling. Well, that's yeah, a, bad, it's a feeling. bad feeling. It's a pretty hate machine. It is. Yeah, I feel like I need to do some kind of workshop to get people to like reduce or altogether eliminate social media use because I just like, I am at the point now where it's just like, it feels like a chore to uh, log on. friend of the pod, Jay <laughs> Kang, has suggested that a straight edge movement should emerge for social media. Because yeah. he's been like, are, are straight edge people, like, are they against social media? Because they should be. It's yeah. like an addictive substance that's bad for you. Well, I think that there's like even a more embarrassing way to look at this, which is just like, I think that an affliction of like the baby boomer era, which our generation and younger like love to clown on is just their addiction to television. And it's because they were brought up in the era of television and television was the new shiny thing, much like social media is for us now. And like, that's why you have now boomers who are completely informed by an endless feed of cable news coming into their heads. But we have the same thing. We just don't like, we don't think to mock it, but it is just, I think it is just as bad and destructive and warping of one sense of reality. I want to make a bumper sticker that says kill your computer like the kill your television yeah. bumper stickers. I but it's that. ironic to hear you guys saying that because I think both of you are are I think of you as being very online. Well, Even though I would admit that I'm more online than both of you, I'm I just so, my output is less. I do not know what's going on at all anymore. It's crazy. And you know what? It's fine because most of the time there's nothing I could do about it anyway. I'm only online if I don't have something to do. Whenever I have something to do and I'm like offline because I was like doing work or like going on a hike or something, I'm always like, why am I so happy? Mm -hmm. Oh, because I'm not on Twitter. I think making up a fake job for yourself if you don't have like a bunch of busy work that you have to do is also like like a hike. Like a hike is like a job that you have to do for a while. Like all that can easily a hike, fill in a drive just anything where you can't be looking oh, at the screen it's the only like great thing about driving right now for me is that i don't i don't check the feeds on while i'm driving yeah driving can be relaxing because mm-hmm. yeah. it's not looking at a computer going but, on a plane and not buying the wi-fi oh so relaxing i was at a coffee shop <laughs> yesterday where the wi-fi was out and it was amazing oh yeah i was like well i guess i just have to do my work and then i just like did my work i purposely (laughs) i have to write i will purposefully go to coffee shops that don't have wi-fi because i will get so much more done and if i need to check the feed i have to look at my phone but then i feel like an idiot and my screen will go black and then it's like oh i'm not working is it jonathan franzen that has like the cable plugged in and then snipped off 
No. <laughs> it's one of the Jonathans was like, I'm so purist. Like, this is like, won't even give myself the possibility of having the internet on my computer. And I mocked it at the time. But you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe that was uh, correct. Well, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a quick coronavirus update and more. So much more. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. 
the medical school dean at USC, was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Night Call. Guys, uh, I asked this question in the hallway as we were coming up here, but what happens if they cancel Coachella because of coronavirus? <laughs> A lot of unprecedented things are happening, which is something you could just say all the time now. <laughs> Many unprecedented things are happening. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they just canceled UltraFest, yeah. which is the big electronic music conference and festival. Is it indoors? It's outdoors. Okay. It's in Miami. I was going to hypothesize that Coachella could go on as scheduled, but that indoor music festivals should be canceled. All many. indoor concerts. There are some theories that like extreme heat kills it, but again, none Sunlight. of these are real. Yeah. There's... I mean, extreme heat also kills people. So <laughs> <laughs> That's why they moved to Coachella to April. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of big events are getting canceled. People are pulling out of South by Southwest. It is very interesting to see what people are doing. Just like our whole economy is so oriented around crowds. Yeah. I, I'm getting, I'm still on all these lists from South by from when I would go for work and getting these emails from different PR people like, we're still going. Oh, I just got one like that too. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we'll still be there. Uh, it's very, yeah, it's well, very it's weird. It's interesting because it's like people have a lot of money sunk into these things. So like they don't want to pull out, obviously. Um, that's what's going on with the Olympics now still too, is like Japan wants to pull out and the mm-hmm. IOC is like, nope, it's happening. So that's been interesting to watch because, yeah, there's like so much money on the line. But then it's like, well, there's also lives on the line. Yeah. And it's not worth it. And maybe as a society, we're having to like reevaluate how we think about people and profit generally. And this is like a very on the nose like, hey, what if there was a health epidemic suddenly that affected everybody and nobody could escape from. On the other hand, I do feel like, especially in the United States, and of course it depends on what part of the United States you're in, but like, I don't know, like like Sundance happened kind of right before full-on coronavirus panic was happening, and everybody I know got violently ill after going to Sundance. Really? Well, don't people yeah. always get sick at film festivals? and, and Sometimes and sometimes not. This was the, also a terrible flu season. Yeah, yeah. it's also yeah. a double-barreled flu season is mm-hmm. what I read, uh, which double means there's barreled. two types of other flu going around. Well, there's, there's influenza A and influenza B, and the vaccine, I want to say, was not very effective against influenza B. I might be wrong. That's also why people who are getting sick immediately are like, I'm patient zero of the coronavirus. And then they are not all. Mm -hmm. My dad got sick a while ago, like a week ago, and uh, he was taken to the hospital and they tested him for coronavirus because he had been traveling. 
and he was he was negative and then he went for a follow-up appointment when he got home and he coughed in the waiting room and everyone like drew back from him and he was like no I'm negative I'm for coronavirus. I'm the yeah. only one of you who can say. And I was uh, like, yeah. yeah. Also, how much did that test cost? Well, he didn't have a choice about it. Yeah. And he has really good insurance, which is wonderful. But we will see. I believe it's $3,000. Yeah, yeah, this is where I learned that. And then I saw that also other places, people being like, well, that's the price. But then like every other country is just like administering yeah, it for, for free. Because mm-hmm. it's like worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. No, it's 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 kind of infuriating to see how. Well, what do you we think people should do if we can't like go have a traditional spring break in a group of people? Like, what's <laughs> like what's like a good indoor kids spring? You should break? go camping. I think camping because then you're you're basically isolated in nature. There's no crowds. Yeah, you can drive there. You don't have to fly. You're basically packing your own stuff. You don't have to go into any stores. I hate camping. But I'm I saying love, for other people. I love this theory. This is for other people. Well, I also liked when we were talking last week about the the live stream raves uh, yeah. and punk yeah. shows yeah. in Wuhan. Yeah, I feel like doing some combination of that plus going someplace you can drive to from your from your home so you don't have to fly and renting a cabin far away from civilization, bringing lots of water, basically like doing a mini prepper vacation. What uh, about a quarantine crowd where it's like taking something like the circle or love is blind, but like for good, which I think is kind of what you were saying about the live streams, the quarantine Mm -hmm. live streams is Mm -hmm. like, what if it's just like everybody throws a mini rave in their own house where you just like, then they're, then they're more tethered to social media. Again, that's something I feel like, what if the virus, what if we don't know it, but what if the virus is spreading? Through social media, guys. <laughs> what, what if, if the virtual just... crowds, it's bleeding out of your computer? What if we, everybody just got back into Second Life? <laughs> oh, I could do that. I'm down for that. I mean, again, with the like trying to think about what it's like to describe this to your past self, but it's like going vi- everybody wants to go viral on social media. But also they're mad at this thing that replicates itself virally. Right. Well, I, I also just, I feel like, the the impulse to go for full doomsday on this is like it feels very conservative to me so i'm always super wary about like we can't do this and this and this and like people buy, buying up face masks and stuff and i think it's mostly because of an aesthetic it's fun to cosplay the end of the world like that's why preppers are into prepping it's like fun to do like this make believe i don't think they think it's fun no i don't think that it's i don't think they're trying to play I'm i mean I preppers think i think preppers really think the end of the world but, is coming but I, but I there's something about the idea of that happening that is the future they want to believe in. The cozy catastrophe. Sure. I'll be the last person. Yeah. Like and or like like people who watch, you know, Mad Max and are like, I want to live in that world. Well, like well, that's mm. why I love Naked and Afraid, <laughs> is to see those people uh wrought upon by nature. <laughs> Honestly, I thought the scariest thing in terms of the the heightened kind of panic that might be a little overblown was the toilet paper shortage. Oh, I didn't oh. even see that. There's a toilet paper shortage in Washington state. And I mean, the, I don't understand. I guess it's just buying everything yeah, up. But everybody's the, just stocking up. I maybe think. they just had less toilet paper to begin well, with. But I was it's like, Washington. No. There's all these paper mills there. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Hand sanitizers out everywhere. I mean, I feel like this happens after every earthquake in Los Angeles. Is people mm. start stocking up after the earthquake. Yeah. Because yeah. like, People don't really think about it that much before because nobody wants to be in a constant state of panic about like the impending earthquake that could always happen. But 
whenever there is like a little earthquake, it's like you'll go to Target. And it'll be like no bottled water left. So I, and I mean, and there is like a big, a more big earthquake, like after the big one in 94, I guess it was, is like, yeah, people do buy out all the stuff and it makes you be like, wow, we're really not prepared for something like this Yes, at yeah. all. And if the chain of supply is also fucked up because it's an international crisis like this is, yeah, it just shows you how ill-equipped like capitalism is to oh, deal with its own creation. That's the lesson <laughs> that I feel like nobody is taking away from this is that like, oh, we're a hundred percent dependent on everything from China, which we know intellectually, and now we're feeling it materially. Um, well, this is like globalism again, coming home to roost yeah. and being like, all the things that were just like getting swept under the rug are like gonna be a problem now and it also provides the possibility of like all the people who don't have access to the bunkers uh, coming together because it's it's bad y'all it's bad (laughs) especially with this like we've been talking about there's just so much misinformation still yeah and some of that misinformation is coming from supposedly legitimate news sources yeah don't buy masks don't buy surgical masks they need them actually in hospitals to treat people who are sick and they won't do shit for you i would say The most controversial thing is how long do you wash your hands for? 20 seconds. That's what I hear. But here's the thing (laughs) that I uh, have a problem with. It's just that the water never comes out hot. So then you're just like washing your hands in cold water. I think as long as you use soap, it's okay. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. With cold I so. water? I, so. I heard it needs to be warm and it has to dissolve the lipid layer. And I mean, that's why you have to do it for 20 seconds. Well, I think if it's cold, you should ideally maybe do it for longer. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a hand washing scientist. Is there See, a I doctor? I got so into short hand washes during the drought here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, totally. I can't <laughs> wash my hands for that long. I feel like I'm being a criminal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if there's a doctor in the house... Please give us a night call and yeah. tell us how, how long, long to wash, to wash our, hands. our hands for and how warm. We'd like to know how to scrub in. Oh, also just give us all your your pandemic thoughts. Yeah. At 24046. If you're in the health industry. Also, I just want to know how many doctors listen to night calls. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't know whether to be worried or encouraged by Show that. yourself doctors. <laughs> I know at least one gynecologist. Oh, nice. Cool. Um, well, speaking of... Uh, ailments. Let's take a night call that's sort of unrelated to spring break, but relates back to our discussion of animals and CBD. Hi, night call. This is Dave, longtime listener, first time caller from the suburbs of, suburbs of Detroit. I wanted to call to give a recommendation for CBD for your dog. We have a dog who's uh, about 14 years old and was diagnosed with cancer in the summer, and we decided to try um giving CBD oil to the dog to help um, get her to to have an appetite again. She wasn't eating much. She didn't want to go outside when she would. She would just stand around. She wasn't running or playing or doing anything. Um, first time we gave her CBD, she it was, it was within minutes, a complete change. And she was eating. She was playing like she normally was, still, you know, an old dog, but was acting much more normal and she was diagnosed in the summer um, of last year and was only given a couple of months to live. And she's still with us today and is doing fine and hasn't had any additional symptoms. And we give her CBD uh, twice a day, almost every single day, and um, swear by it at this point. So just make sure that you look um, to, to see that the place has their sources for how they do it and where you can look up online to make sure that there's nothing else in it. But other than that, it's been a lifesaver. 
I love the idea of dogs on CBD. I have to say, like, I wish that I was a dog on CBD. <laughs> like, that sounds like the nicest place to be. That's our spring break dream, <laughs> to, to be a dog on CBD. This is such a sweet call. I, like, I, you know, I, I, I buy it, like, for, with my limited experience with CBD. And, like, dogs are smaller, probably. You know. I just love anecdotal evidence about anything that helps old dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if someone yeah. just says, like, I have an old dog, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm a mark for this. Like, yeah. tell me it's yeah. good, please. Like, please maybe tell your me old dog good. just likes getting a rub down, and that's cool, too. I don't know, though. I feel like we know so little about how animals' minds work. That is true. You yeah. know, that I just want to believe. It's it's kind of sad when you think that you'll never know how animals feel yeah. about being pets and like yeah. what they really want from their lives. You know, I feel like you can sort of sense. You can, you think you can because otherwise you're going to have a real conundrum of wondering if your animals like want to belong to a different family or <laughs> want to live out in the wild. You just don't know. <laughs> I always think about this with indoor cats because living in L.A., I think it's a little irresponsible, sorry, to have an outdoor cat. Um, we it depends where you live. It do- it definitely depends where you live. But just in the past like five years, three of our neighborhood cats we, we have found have been hit by cars so or eaten by coyotes. You're saying if they were on CBD, they would just chill at home. Well, I'm wondering if there's more that we can do to like improve <laughs> to, their quality of life. To make them life. enjoy being a prisoner. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm definitely going to give one of my cats CBD. Do it. Report back. My friend Maya, who works at a vet, said it's it's real. She claims it's real and that it like helps dogs that have like cancer treatments and stuff. They I'm going to give it CBD. to my dog. My dog's very not fond of her yeah. food. And I'm, I always think that sucks, but I can't give her other food because she's old and yeah. they get pancreatitis. And My cat starts meowing in the middle of the night. So one of the vets gave, I think I talked about this already, a vet mm-hmm. gave me like a downer for her, like a, a kitty Xanax. Yeah. And I felt so guilty about giving it to her. And then when I did, it was like phantom thread. I was like, oh, my beautiful baby. Oh, you're so weak. I have to take care of you forever. I want you flat on your back. <laughs> One but then I, yeah. But yeah, but then I was like, I don't want my cat to be on Xanax. Like, I don't want to be, I personally don't have good feelings about Xanax. So like, I don't want to put my cat on cat Xanax. Once I had this chameleon named Billy, who was a Jackson's chameleon. Uh, They have three horns, and they look like little dinosaurs. And he lived a very long, long life, like longer than we expected. And then he got uh, some kind of a bacterial infection. And my dad had to inject him with antibiotics. It was just the weirdest experience, like watching this creature who can give you no indication of their happiness other than like if they're healthy. And I guess with chameleons, they kind of, they change color, obviously, when they're in distress. But they don't, you don't necessarily believe that you can like read how they're feeling right, based right. on that. But when he would get injected with the antibiotic, he would change colors as the antibiotic like entered Whoa, his blood. Yeah. Crazy. It was really crazy. Oh my God. Wow. I know. Animals are so cool. They're so Give cool. them CBD. They deserve <laughs> it. I, uh, related to CBD, I was at Bed Bath & Beyond, um, which I feel I, I was having this thought. I, I spent like probably over an hour in Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, I feel like Bed Bath and Beyond has like real night call vibes. It definitely um, does. We yeah. all love it. Every quack product <laughs> that exists in the world is sold at Bed Bath and Beyond, but they had on sale there, and I didn't get them. But maybe I should get them and report back. Um, CBD oil infused pillows. Oh yeah, <gasps> yeah. 
Last time I went into Bed Bath Beyond, it was on Vine over there. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, they sell CBD at Bed Bath and Beyond now. Totally. There's so much CBD. Where at Bed do Bath. they not sell CBD anymore? I went to the Pink Elephant, which is a liquor store, to uh-huh. get a lottery ticket because I'm living a wholesome, <laughs> great life right now. <laughs> And I was like, they had. Oh, a, let's get into this later. Right? They had this like giant display of very fancy herbal teas with CBD and oh, recessed sodas. Some of them nice. Oh, I so want nice. Oh, yeah. I they want have CBD herbal tea. That it, I tried a peach lovely. one. It was fantastic. It had a dose of CBD. Like some of them have like ten. This milligrams is from the liquor store you got from it? Pink Elephant. Okay, which is a liquor store I, on Western. I was gonna say, Sponsor I feel us, like, Pink Elephant. Please do. I'm there a lot. <laughs> I do feel like it's with cbd you just you got to know what you're getting and how could you possibly know yeah you don't know you don't but do you ever know what you're getting at any point no No. you don't know what's in a regular pillow exactly like what on (laughs) earth isn't it it's just well do you use feather or or synthetic (laughs) i have both synthetic pillows i'm very skeptical about yeah well there's so many like it makes you worried about pillows when you go to bed bath because it's like it's like there are so many options for pillows. And yeah. I was like, I thought there were just pillows. This is going to end with all of us covering our pillows in tin foil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sleeping in a tin foil bed. Um, crinkly. That sounds lovely. <laughs> oh, it would be great. You could be a baked potato. I'm gonna they get... do have silver infused pillow oh, cases. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Antimicrobial. Definitely. Um, maybe I will get the CBD pillow and I'll report back and I'll do I'll, I'll it'll be for work. It'll be exactly. for Write it off. Expense it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take another break and then we'll be back with where the boys are. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. 
Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are taking your spring break night calls all month. And we have a night call from a listener about a spring break gone awry. Hi, this is Sophie. Um, I'm calling about spring break because in 2006, uh, it was sixth grade. And on the first day of spring break, my parents took me to see the Neil Young concert movie, Heart of Gold, at the Beverly Center Movie Theater. Rest in peace. And when we got home, my boyfriend had left a voicemail on my parents' home phone answering machine, which my mom had received uh, a couple hours earlier. And the voicemail was a lengthy explanation of why he was breaking up with me. That's so savage. <laughs> Wait, that was sixth grade, though. 2006, she was in sixth grade. Oh, no, that's not. That wasn't my. She said she was in sixth grade. I was just wanted to make sure that this was a middle school breakup. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, sounds like a middle school breakup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the parents phone thing. When you told me about this before that there was somebody who broke up with somebody over a parent's phone, I was like, that's a weird move for college. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was a sixth grade. But also sixth grade, I have to say those relationships were real. Mm, I don't know about all that. Really? Oh, I see. Um, some people had boyfriends in sixth yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some long, of us long distance, not to so, boast. <laughs> he lives in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> really hot guy. Well, I do remember in middle school, people having like two week long relationships was the longest anyone's relationship sure, was. Yeah. So, like the idea that you could be in a relationship and then out of it over but a spring break. I didn't even have a fake relationship. Like my fake two week relationship 
was in my freshman year of high school. Like that Look, that was the first time. Some of us weren't as cool and popular as Tess. <laughs> Super cool and popular in sixth grade. We no, just have to accept that. I I when I went to school in New York where I I moved when I was like very little, there was a super intense like fake dating scene going on, which oh is God. weird because my one of my kids, I won't identify which, but I'm sure you can guess, um it has already like his class. Everybody's talking about like who has a crush on whom and who's dating whom and all of that kind of stuff. But his friends at different schools don't necessarily. And yeah. some of them are like the girls are like, oh, yeah, he's my boyfriend and the guy doesn't know and all of this stuff. But I think it just once it enters mm-hmm. the discourse, it's mm-hmm. it's there and everybody's kind of playing along. Yeah. But I think it mostly it displays itself in stuff like this where it's like this perform a performative yeah. breakup I remember message. yeah performative breakups I remember now you're just like recalling like there was definitely like a rumor about two sixth graders who had sex oh always oh. and every school it's like those two. <laughs> oh yeah yeah no I, I knew somebody but I also remember grade. like my older like my slightly older family friend being like wait till you get to middle school <laughs> <laughs> see when I think about, I mean I had I guess I had fake relationships in like kindergarten and first grade but those felt more substantial than like that ninth grade one for whatever reason because there wasn't it wasn't charged with all this awkwardness yet it was just like we like to hang out and draw pictures of spiders you guys made it two weeks i i don't remember it was that would have been a big deal oh no i mean in ninth grade Uh, yeah it was probably two weeks i because when we were that age i had one that i think i made it like three days Molly remembers maybe there was a double. It was date like a two week process though to get to dating, and then it yeah. immediately was like, yeah. no, it was no. like he gave you yeah. a note. You had to like think about it. Yeah. you were oh, just notes. flattered somebody wanted to go out with you, so you were like, I don't really like him, but like I should probably do it, right? Why not? He's Let's older. do it. Um, oh my god, Elena Smith wrote today that she had a motto in eighth and ninth grade that was always all skaters are hot and even if they're not date them anyway because their (laughs) friends will be hot so sage that's true wow that's so wise um um also i'm not just i think new york kids those fast living yeah i think it's just someone has an old fast someone has an older sibling and so they see right. how it works right, and then right. they, they bring it in. They import it into yeah. their peer group. Yeah, 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 much yeah. like a virus. Yes, it, it is exactly everyone. like a virus. And it, it's at some schools and not at others. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Well, spring break, it's clear, changes everybody. He did not um, have a heart of gold. <laughs> no. <laughs> also, just that detail of like going to the Beverly Center Look, movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Seeing the Neil Young movie with <laughs> your parents. Seeing a movie at the Beverly Center. Oh, love that Much theater. less the yeah. Neil Young movie. <laughs> But also, it sounds like your parents raised you right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You probably found love again because you weren't the problem there. Yeah. No. But yeah, I mean, spring break, even if you're not in Cancun or Fort Lauderdale, it's uh, people really like, you People know, change. They change. Yeah. They reassess their they lives. They come back. Change. <laughs> um, this week, we tried to get back into the, the origins of spring break by watching the 1960 film, Where the Boys Are. And it is about how people change. It is also about... And while in Florida. Where the boys are. (laughs) It's also about where the boys are, which happens to be Fort Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That Um, is it. I got all kinds of fun facts about where the boys are. So where the boys are came out in 1960. It was a huge surprise hit. And it was so successful that it then spawned a lot of ripoffs, including the Frankie and Annette Beach Party movies. Right. Um, But also all of these things. So it was based on a novel written by a guy from Arizona who observed coets going to the beaches in the 50s. And it was originally a novel called Unholy Spring. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then the studio was like, can we change it to where the boys are? And he said, sure. Um, in the novel, the college students are raising money to send to Fidel Castro. <laughs> um but they do not have that as part of the plot line in the movie, obviously. Wait, why are they? Wait, Because they're pro-Castro. But why, what, like, in what context? Like, at once they're on the beach, they're, like, doing fundraisers? Are they busking? What are they, what are they doing? I don't know. I just found this detail that was, like, there's a whole plot line in the novel about how they're all pro-Castro. I'm, I'm just saying right now we're putting this in the book club at some point. Yeah, yeah no, we have amazing. to. Yeah. And it's very, like, maybe just think about chaos some more, too. For sure. Um because it just is like 1960 is so weird. It's, it's like a weirdest the year. The long 50s. 59, 60. Yeah, yeah it's, super it's weird. like before the 60s really kick in, it's that long 50s where you can feel the 60s are coming. Yeah. Because everybody's really horny. Yeah. And ready to test the limits of society in new ways. So the Kinsey Report had just come out when this movie came out. And the birth control pill got approved on May 9th, 1960. The first commercially available birth control pill came out called Enovid 10. Um, so this movie opens with Merritt, who is played by Dolores Hart, giving a speech in her health class at her cold Midwestern university about how girls should be able to have premarital sex. But she, she calls it making oh. out. Well, she calls it making out and then playing, playing house. house before you're married. <laughs> Which I was like, what? What does that mean? And then I really like I thought it was living together. That's what I thought, too. I yeah. was a little confused. But then she's like. Call it what you want. They used to call it petting or yeah. bundling. Bundling. <laughs> and the old teacher and dean are like, you stop that with oh, your sexual I think liberation. The dean, the dean is a little bit like wink, wink, nudge, She's nudge. More, yeah, sympathetic. She's like, bring your grades up and we'll forget all about this. Silly She's like, she seems so made. smart. I can't believe that she's having academic troubles. Like yes, Dolores she she ha- I think character. she has ADHD. Really? Well, that's my... Because I'm like, she can't focus on one thing. But she's got an IQ of 138. <laughs> but maybe she must be a good student. As everyone knows. But yeah. maybe she's she doesn't have any EQ, which oh. is why she has to go No, she says, she's asked Florida. directly by the dean. She's like, why... It, you're so smart. Why, why are your grades just okay? And she was like, I just can't focus yeah. on this. I just don't care that much. She's thinking yeah. about doing it. Uh-huh. Boys it's are true. everywhere. Look, even smart girls, guys. So teenagers had just been invented in the 1940s. <laughs> what do you mean? And it's 50s. true. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah the, the term teenager did not exist before, like basically pre-war. Wow. It's it was like a so, post-war. You know like, uh, it was so they could market to them. Mm, and, uh, didn't Anne Helen Peterson write a book about probably, that? Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the Andy, the, uh, Andy Hardy series with Mickey Rooney, which is about basically Archie Andrews type stuff mm-hmm. of like teenage, you know, the idea that there was a new economic class of people that were not considered children, but were not considered adults and mm-hmm. had capital to spend mm-hmm. happened in the 40s and 50s. So the idea that by the 50s and 60s, those people could scrap it together enough money to go on spring break mm-hmm. was new. Um, but obviously coming out of like weird spring bacchanalias in the DNA. Yeah of human beings. Um, But the concept of spring break was really invented by this novel, apparently, the concept of college spring break. Yeah, that's so interesting because, like, it it is based on a book that was, like, a re- like a social research into like wh- or right it was like it, it was, was a like, novel it was but, a it no- was, but it was like based on some it was social- based on I think his own experiences of like there were people who would drive down to beach towns in the 50s on their yeah. break from college in order to see if there were other kids from other schools but this book 
publicized the idea of like a, a mad rush, a mad rush of students yeah. of a million horny young people going to a beach town and taking it over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, yeah, it was like uh, the love in or something. It was mm-hmm. like it. People saw it as an idea, and then they were like, "I want to do that." Yeah, that's the thing you can do. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, and then all those towns became spring break destinations. Yeah. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I hadn't seen it, so I was really glad to uh, be introduced to it. Um, but we did point or Tess, I think you said it's a horror movie. I was quoting Molly. I when she said I was like, Oh, it's true, because the suspense is building yeah. and you're like, I think it's the suspense toward fun. And then you're like, No, it's not <laughs> all can play out and all It sorts has a of downer ways. ending. Yeah. Um, well, it has to, I feel like 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 morally, it, it's like obliged to be like, Don't be a slut. That's but, what's yeah. I've realized that a lot of the movies Tess has introduced me to that I really love are movies that are like a woman having fun experimenting and then she gets like punished very <laughs> yeah, badly. Yeah. Sometimes. That's because I grew up with Catholic, formerly Catholic Oh, we have parents. to do Looking for Mr. Goodbar sometimes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, I love On that Looking note. for Mr. Goodbar. But that's much more depressing. Yeah, but just the, but first you get to see them have fun. Right. And so it also just makes you think about how few movies there are like this still that are just like four female protagonists having fun. Well, look yeah. what they did to Samantha in Sex and the City. It's the <sighs> same thing. Yeah. True. Oh, I also like even though I've only watched probably like five episodes of Sex and the City in my entire life, I know who all of the the, the four of the girls are. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Would you like to explain? Um, if I can remember everybody's name. We have Merritt, Merritt. played by Dolores Hart. So that's um that's Carrie, right? Yeah. Yeah, Merritt's for sure Carrie. Yeah, she like like it kind of made me wonder. Oh, it's basically her entire yeah. thing. Yeah. Who's who is Tuggle? Tuggle is played by Paula Prentice. Is um is um Cynthia Nixon. Um, yeah, Miranda. Okay. Yeah. Miranda. But, but, especially because of the dude. Yeah. Well, because the dude, of the dude is dude. such a Miranda but dude. <laughs> Tuggle Tuggle was all about having babies, so in that sense, she's kind of a Charlotte. Hmm. That's true. She says, "I'm a baby machine." And Connie Francis oh, is kind of a Miranda because she's so self-deprecating. That's, I think Connie Francis is Miranda. Yeah, that dude. Well, and she dates an ugly guy as well. Yeah. <laughs> not that not no, that TV's ugly, but, but TV, his personality is ugly. TV and the jazz guy are basically both dudes I've dated before. <laughs> so it was like... Uh, Emily's I felt, here for the Riddler. Yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, I was very... I felt uh, very seen by both of those I also think TV is totally like... I think TV was high. Cool, he yeah. was super... Yeah. He was definitely... Um, in terms of just like objectively, well, that's the problem when you see him at the beginning when he's like a hitchhiker, fast talking guy. I was like, uh oh, love him. But he's wearing like a hoodie and he looks like he could just walked out of like yeah. a dirtbag bar in 2020 or exactly. something. <laughs> but then he turns out to just be just trouble. Yeah, he's not the most dependable guy in the world. No. So yeah, this movie is about four co-eds from the same school in the Midwest going down together to Florida and sharing a room with like a hundred other girls. Yeah, it, the, the, Their number increases as the movie goes on and they, no one seems to know how they got into the motel room. Yeah. yeah, and trying to find love but also deciding whether to have casual sex. Yeah, um, This movie's from 1960 <clears throat> and it feels so weirdly modern yeah. It doesn't feel dated in the way that you expect it to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a Doris Day, Rock Hudson movie. Yeah. It feels like from a real place of, you know, just even seeing the main character sort of be like, maybe I do want to have sex before marriage. Yeah. yeah. Still feels sort of nuts. Yeah. Camille Paglia, who is a stupid 
dummy who's bad loves this movie. How do you really feel, Molly? <laughs> um, um, she loves it for bad reasons because what, she's like, because she's like, she like invoked it in something about like date rape campus culture where she was like, women just should assume men are trying to rape them all the time. And this movie has like oh. a straightforward handle on that. It's the women's fault if they don't make sure oh. that they don't do something stupid. See, uh, that's not the one thing that I did find a little bit, even though it does do this thing where it punishes the sluttiest of the four of them, the Samantha. It's so sad. It's very sad, yeah. but it's like she gets hit by a car. Yeah. Like, it's not just that she gets raped, which she does get raped. Then she gets hit by a car because she's so sad she walks into traffic. She, it's just she's like, trying to kill herself. Oh, oh, was that? Is yeah, because yeah. then in the hospital, she's, oh, she's like, yeah. "What?" Yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't. In- yeah, I didn't. I didn't interpret that as a suicide attempt. But then afterwards, she was like, "Okay." This yeah, movie is I? exactly like Spring Breakers in many ways. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. also about sort of being like, "How fun do I want to be?" Or am I like the scared wuss who's gonna like not go out to the fun party that but might there's be no, turn dangerous? That, that character doesn't exist though. And the, there's no real scared wuss. There are people who like. Have a hard time finding the right dude, well, like Connie, like um, Connie Francis. Well, Merritt ultimately decides that she like doesn't want to have sex because she like likes him too much. Yeah, her, her beau is George Hamilton. Yeah, uh, who plays a guy who went to Brown and and will not let you forget it because he oh, introduces yeah. himself constantly as like rider who went to Brown and then he's also wearing a blazer with a brown yeah. insignia. Uh, <laughs> Blazer to spring break. Well, he just doesn't want you to forget where he uh, went to college. Well, there's this idea uh, that they're all like got a bag in Ivy League guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Yaleys live downstairs. The Yaleys are the bad. Yeah, ones. But of course but the Yaleys are the bad rapists, and yeah. the uh, brown guy is the nice, handsome, the nice rich romantic boy. one. Yeah, yep. George Hamilton <clears throat> is so hot. Mm-mm. What? No, Come on. doesn't oh, do it for me. I'm I, not he, into George Hamilton. I told my husband, I was like, I think George Hamilton has a nice nose, and he was like, we can just do away with he's a yes he's a very handsome like he might be I the think most it's handsome also, man if you've seen him old yeah and then you see what he looked like young you're like oh yeah 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 that I get makes it. sense but he is a real rich guy from miami mm-hmm. i found out that makes he's sense. from like palm beach yeah. and he was like a serious actor um and he did this movie because he was in the stable of the studio mgm i think that made it mm-hmm. but he thought it was kind of stupid and then it became like the biggest hit of his career <laughs> And then at a point in the 70s, he started playing just like rich guys in movies. Mm-hmm. He started playing sort of like a Cary Grant type yeah. in 70s yeah. and 80s movies. So everyone knows him as like the comically tan yeah. rich guy in a yachting jacket. But to see like, oh, the young yeah. comically yeah. tan, <laughs> yeah. but also people tanning for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Like some who who says like I'd I'd rather go hungry than come back home with an uneven tan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's um Paula Prent- Yeah, I love Paula Prentice in this. She's very relatable. Yeah, Paula Prentice is in the Stepford Wives. Yes, mm-hmm. also she's in the Stepford- and Parallax View. Parallax View. Yeah, she's, she's such a like seventies woman yeah. already in yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's, it's crazy to see her in this. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like you are from the future <laughs> yeah. and yeah. like it'll get there, but you're trapped in these sixties pants right now. Yeah. Also, really she, great pants. Really great pants. Yeah. She's like the one who yeah, she's the one with the baby making quote, but she's like the second part of that is like with like I wanna be a walking talking baby making factory with union labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like my my head kind of exploded after yeah. that. Like, uh, um, yeah, she's fantastic. Like I, I mean, but everybody feels like pretty fantastic. modern yeah. in this movie. Like I think that Dolores Hart is I mean 
She's just so, I think she's like stunningly she's so gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's talk about Dolores Hart. Yeah. So she plays Merritt, who's the main character, basically, the sort of every girl who, yeah, is like very well written. The idea that she's like smart but gets bad grades and is distracted by boys. Like it all feels very three dimensional. All these characters feel really three dimensional. They do. Yeah. She was in King Creole with Elvis, and mm-hmm. she was the first girl to kiss Elvis on screen, mm-hmm. which made me realize that the girl in Crybaby looks just like her. The oh. John Waters movie that's mm-hmm. like a tribute to Elvis movies. Yeah. Because um, she's such like the perfect corollary for Elvis. Of yeah. Just like a, a hot. Blue-eyed, blonde. 50s and 60s person. <laughs> she was often compared to Grace Kelly, and her parents were both actors and then she retired from acting almost immediately after this movie. Mm-hmm. She made a movie called St. Francis where she played St. Francis, a St. Francis, <laughs> uh-huh. a lady St. Francis. <laughs> um, and then she became a nun. She dropped out to be a nun. And she's still alive and still a nun, I believe. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah she's still alive. She's born in 38. So, yeah, she's good still, for her. She's 81. Yeah, she was a child actor, basically. Um, Her parents were both really hot contract players. Mm -hmm. Her dad was apparently a Clark Gable type, and her mom was also an actress. And they lived in Beverly Hills. So she apparently grew up, like, around Hollywood people. And also, then when her parents divorced, her grandfather was a movie projectionist. And she would, like, process the trauma of her parents' divorce by, like, watching movies with him. So... She had kind of had a full career by the time she dropped out. She had been in Hollywood like since she was a baby, essentially. She was like an extra yeah. um, in this movie, Forever Amber, or her dad was in it, Forever Amber, which was another best-selling sexy novel that turned into a less sexy movie. Forever Amber. Have you guys ever read Forever Amber? No. Oh, it's so bad, but it's interesting. It's very Night Call. It was like a fake historical novel that was just like an orphaned poor girl sleeps her way up through the ranks of British society and eventually becomes like the queen's, the king's mistress. There we go. Okay. But it was like <laughs> one of those books that it's like pseudo historical, but everybody was right. just reading it yeah, for the yeah. dirty parts. The dirty, yeah. Yeah. So there are actually a few movies that Dolores Hart did after um, Where the Boys Are. Her last film, I feel like we need to watch. Uh, was a 1963 British comedy called Come Fly With Me about air hostesses. Oh, I've maybe seen that. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like Pan Am, the show, but yeah. <laughs> actually in the c- contemporary period. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should watch that. I that wish this movie had great. spawned more Girls Go on a Trip movie. Yeah, Because it really had to wait until Girls Trip for there to be another one. <laughs> and there still haven't been really any since Girls Trip, which was a big hit. It's like, even though these movies are big hits, they don't make a million of them, even though they should. We have to wait for like Harmony Curran to make one. Again, you're acting like the Sex and the City movies never happened. I do (laughs) act like the Sex and the City movies never happened. (laughs) Whatever for. Um, They're not canon. No. (laughs) I just want to point out that it's so cool that Yvette Mimieux was in the time machine. Oh my God, I love the time <laughs> it's just machine. so cool. Do you guys like the time machine yes, from yeah. 1960? Of yeah. course. Yeah. That is, we should also, we'll probably cover yes. that on a movie podcast for our Patreon at that some point. That movie also is so weird and it's hard to pinpoint why, but it's because it's 1960 and in the Victorian age right. where you're like, this is the Victorian, it's like yes. it's about to, <laughs> you're going to figure it out and get in the time machine. Wait, so you made, Molly, a really interesting um, Carmela Soprano. Oh, yeah. 
I was just excited because Connie Francis is Livia Soprano's favorite recording artist of all time. And then Dolores Hart was also related to Mario Lanza, who's Livia Soprano's other favorite recording artist. Do you think that's on purpose? Because they're Italian. No, but I mean, do you think someone watched (laughs) Where the Boys Are and just yoinked it all and like plopped it into Livia's backstory? I think that Italian Americans of Livia's generation just were like excited to see any Italian American representation. That's also why they love Annette Funicello. Yeah. Mm hmm. Do you guys like the Beach Party movies? It's I, fine. I fucking love those you movies. You do? Oh I should God. revisit them. I love them because it's like it's like the, this movie, but even more, you know, without any sort of bittersweetness to right, it. It's right. just like if you want to just, just like feel good and watch a movie that's like enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Kind of stupid. It's froth. It's yeah. F- but they're good. Yeah. Like I love them. I really do. And it is like that weird desexualized teenagers in bathing suits. Yeah. It's like, look, we can show people in bathing suits for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, everything's really horny, but no one has sex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in Where the Boys Are, people do have sex. Yeah. And sometimes with consequences. <laughs> too much. So, what um, if sex, but too much? Yeah. But too much sex. I bet Mimia dropped out of Hollywood also in the 90s because she said that the roles were too bad. She said that the quality of roles for women was they're either sex objects or vanilla pudding. Which I thought was a good quote. Yeah. But she's in this movie, The Black Hole, that is like a Disney sci-fi movie I've never seen that people love. Oh, yeah. Ooh. That was like the movie that they made after Star Wars came out and Disney was like, we should have our own Star Wars. <laughs> and then fast forward 40 years, they just bought Star Wars. And she says that she always got cast as like a wounded, sensitive person. Mm. That makes sense. Well, she has a very like delicate voice. Yeah, she has like a voice that's made for like being on the phone and crying it's because voice. <laughs> it's so it's a bit like this yeah. voice. The time machine They're is yaylies. so weird. Um, um, I so I watched this movie this morning with my husband. Um, and we were talking kind of at the end. He was like, so after um Melanie Yvette Mimu's character is raped and has to go to the hospital and then you know after she like crosses traffic almost dies and then they're she, like spring break is over spring break yeah. is over but Merritt and um George George Hamilton Ryder stay behind in order to like wait Look until she's out of the hospital yeah. and drive her home and I my husband was like what do you think happens then and I was like, oh, interesting. What does happen then? Because he was like, we have the opportunity to write. And this on this podcast, we often pitch our ideas. So here's mine. The guy who um, did uh, Yvette wrong in this movie, his name is Dill. 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 She, was, she thought she was in love with Franklin. Franklin. Franklin pawned her off on his evil friend Dill, also from Yale. So what if we do a sequel to Where the Boys Are, and it's George Hamilton driving around Merritt and Melanie to find Dill and we call it Kill Dill, (laughs) right? And they get Dill and torture him and bury him in the sand and drive away back to Massachusetts or wherever. I think what this movie doesn't get into that Spring Breakers does is like, well, the flip side of like female horniness is like female rage. Yes. Right. Uh, And nobody gets to be like ragey in this movie at all. It's all just like directed back in. But spring that's why Spring Breakers is good. It's because it's like, now you get to torture James Franco. Sure. Well, and there's this whole, there's like this dynamic that is announced by the voiceover at the beginning of the film, which I like laughed out loud at because it was so like putting the onus of responsibility of 
for all of this stuff on the women because they're like the the boys go to soak up the sun and the girls go because it's where the boys are. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the dudes are yeah. just there to look at the ocean and right. soak up the sun. Like, also, nobody is looking like at girls at all there. The like, voiceover <laughs> guy is the guy who does the haunted mansion voice. No way. Uh-huh. Oh, that makes sense. See, so, it's a horror it movie. Is yeah, it is. 100%. <laughs> Uh, just want, yeah, there should just be like a little a little midsummering of dill at the end. Yeah. Right? As a treat. No. <laughs> we deserve it. <laughs> um, I'm surprised there wasn't a sequel to this. Um, no, there was a remake in the 80s. Yeah. Which, I thought I saw that. 84 maybe? Yeah. Which is and like, the 80s remake has like tits and, yeah. and drugs, but it is does not have the rape plot line. So it feels like way less modern in a weird way than the 1960 version. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Because it's way more just like, everything works out great. <laughs> party, <laughs> party. Well, I can't tell which is more modern to do, though, is like to be like, you will get raped if you sleep around too much and, and spring break or to just be like, no, it never happens. It's like, like I don't know. I think yeah. I just think anytime I see a movie from that time period, like really pre-women's liberation time period where they talk about rape at all, Mm -hmm. it feels so jarring because the rest of movies from that time are like, don't think about it. Right. This doesn't happen. So when there's like a movie from that time period that hints at like the darkness of the actual time rather than how you think of it if you have seen only movies. Yeah. It just feels real. Although... I was going to say, because I was thinking when this happened in the film, I was like, oh, it's really interesting also to have these like white, good looking, like, like Ivy boys be yes. predators. Uh-huh. Totally. They weren't even Yaley's. That's the twist. Didn't it? No. She's, no, 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 they were. Because that's that's the thing. Like when she's in the hospital bed. She's like, they she's, weren't even Ivy she's Leaguers. Like, the worst part is they weren't even Yaley's. And then that's when Merritt like breaks down crying. Like that's the worst Whoa, part. It's like, not is that. If you got if you got raped by a Yaley. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, that's cool. But <laughs> I think it still says that like people like good looking white guys who present as very privileged. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Might. Oh, yeah. That's still there, a hundred percent. It's I just mean, like they had to take you off. That, that's, that's crazy. Right. But the fact that it's that instead of being like, and then a janitor wandered in, right, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. lower class person yeah. came in. It's still like, hey, like these guys are creeps, yeah. and that also just feels very like that's super modern. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, and we're gonna get like so many more decades of this. Well, also because so Tuggle, Paula Prentice's character, when they first meet TV, he's like hitchhiking and mm-hmm. and is strange and yeah. they're just like get in dirty. The, they ask him his shoe size and he's like 13 and they're like hop on in that was hot yeah and then and then Paula Prentice won't have sex with him yeah. so he ends up falling in love with a woman named Lola Fandango <laughs> which just made me think of Toast of London which I already do all the time because we're sitting here with headphones on and a microphone and I keep thinking like I see you Clem Fandango <laughs> But it's so, I mean, the fact that, you know, because he asked her if she's a good well, I girl. I love Lola Fandango. Oh, my God. The actress who plays her is this actress who always plays sort of Brooklyn-y Audrey from I was, Little Shop Audrey. of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> but it is it is funny. It's that plot of like, well, like this girl isn't going to do it with you. So like find the older woman. Yeah, yeah the down experienced the woman. Who says my, my life hasn't been all beer and roses. But it is also <laughs> yeah. like they've only got two weeks or one week or whatever it is to to get it in so it is sort of like the girls that are going into it being like this is going to end in marriage are like also crazy yeah 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 
Also, um, TV's whole weird backstory where he was like, I saw a woman ha- had like written to the paper that she was very rich and had been divorced four times. So I asked her for a bunch of money and then she sent me $2,500. And I used to buy a car. Me? Yeah. Well, he and the jazz musician are both beatniks for some reason, totally. yeah, which yeah. is great. Um, yeah. Dialectic jazz. Dialectic yeah. jazz, right. Like they were trying to get on the wave of West Coast jazz being popular. Yeah. yeah. Anything that takes an aim at youth culture from an adult perspective it's is amazing. My so it's amazing. <laughs> like the ways they get things wrong are always perfect. But yeah. I do just think, like Spring Breakers, all the performances from the actresses in this feel sort of naturalistic in a way that just makes it feel yeah. like a semi naturalistic movie, even though it is broad and a broad sex comedy it's like also a coming of age movie and you can tell that the guy who wrote it probably thought it was like a you know important coming of age novel when he called it unholy spring and then like (laughs) made peace with what it really was when it became where the boys are but you know 60s comedies get so broad like shortly after this yeah um and this really feels like there's just something about it that's timeless yeah it's great yeah. Did you guys ever read The Group by Mary McCarthy? A long, long time ago. That's another one we should consider doing yeah. for the book club. That came out in 63, but it was about the 30s. Mm-hmm. And it was Mary McCarthy talking about her fr- her and her friends from Vassar sort of being like the first class, graduating class of women's libbers. So it's all about having sex and using birth control during the 30s. <laughs> wow. Um, and it also feels really modern because it's yeah. like it starts with this girl. I think it's like she gets an abortion because she like... You just somebody writing about what it's like to get an abortion in the 30s, yeah, in the early 60s, still feels unfortunately relevant, yeah. But just, yeah, just the idea that like young people were always having sex, maybe they weren't always talking about it, and then after where the boys are is the beginning of like adults marketing the idea of young people having sex to sell things to adults, yeah. Um, and like just sex comedies as a genre, the, yeah, the greatest of all genres. <laughs> um, we should have a sex comedy. Month. Oh, definitely. Um, I would be into that. It'd be wild. But yeah, I mean, we like save it for August when we're all losing our minds. Right. Like it's interesting to think that there's a road that leads from this to Porky's. Totally which brings oh, us back 100%. to Kim, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so more movies about horny girls going on yeah. spring breaks. Yes. I also am very interested. There is a bunch of movies then that are four films after this, I think, that Paula Prentice and Jim Hutton, who plays TV, did together, which I think is adorable. I want to see they them date? as like a, I, No, uh, they were just so popular just, in this movie together. Yeah, they everybody kept putting loved them, them together. Yeah. They're yeah. so cute, though. Really like, I cute. love it. I, I want to see all these movies now. Uh, so And there's a bunch of sort of movies in this universe because mm-hmm. this was like, even though there wasn't an official sequel, there's a movie called like Palm Springs Weekend. Mm-hmm. There's all these movies. There's like a ski resort one. Just like if I want to go to my mental spring break, this is what I will watch. Yeah. Beach party movies. <laughs> Well, uh, that was Where the Boys Are. You can check it out. Uh, it, it is. I watched it on uh, iTunes. You can I watched it on, on iTunes. YouTube yeah. for $3. Oh, well, there nice. you go. So it is streamable. Uh, we highly recommend it. Um, and we're going to be back next week with more spring break content, possibly possibly closer <laughs> to the present, but maybe not all the way in the present. Uh, we're going to do a, tr- a tour through the history of spring break. So please continue to give us your night calls about spring break. At one two four zero four six night. Also, we are getting ready for our next theme month in April, which is going to be plastic surgery April. So, if you have any uh, stories, conspiracies, questions about plastic surgery or or non surgical procedures, 
Any anything anything that we do to alter our appearances, uh, you can give us a night call at one two four zero four six night or a night email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com also if you haven't yet seen we have redone our patreon tiers and redesigned we're doing a little bit of a relaunch so that we can offer you more bonus episodes so please check it out at patreon.com forward slash nightcall um we will be giving two extra episodes per month uh we're going to be revolving between a movie club book club and maybe a fun surprise yeah it's gonna be great more fun surprises from nightcall all year yeah, we're uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for the next. Couple we months are too, so. your spring break from reality. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, our coronavirus uh, plan is just to continue recording podcasts so that everybody can stay at home and listen to Nightcall forever. We will be back next week. Uh, follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Nightcall Pod, Instagram at Nightcall Podcast, Facebook at Nightcall Podcast. Uh, subscribe to our aforementioned Patreon and subscribe to us if you haven't already and give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you all next week. Where the boys are, someone waits for me. Night Call is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.